he's back this week because we had a Thursday night game. Uh, Michael Broadcorp uh, is our Vikings specialist. Uh, he is uh, here throughout the season to talk about Vikings football because he's a huge fan. And the reality is, is this: N- neither he or I are sports experts. We're just everyday people. So this is kind of, I think, the perspective that you, most of all of us, are going to have anyway. So this is l- the way I like to do things. Michael Broadcorp, thank you very much as always. I appreciate the time. I wish we were talking under better circumstances, but it's always good to talk to you. Well, thank you very much. I, it's nice to have you here. The I, I want to last night. Okay, the team came back, played well. That's and but generally, you're playing a really good team at their stadium. Games teams that up, upset them generally are you know coming back pretty strong in the fourth quarter. It looked like it was going to be the case. Philadelphia gets that last touchdown, and that pretty much made it out of reach. They needed the touchdown then to, re- to recover an onside kick to have a chance at it, and that just wasn't going to happen, uh, not with a team like Philly. But you know, overall, your, your thoughts, I mean, they did indeed play better. Would you agree? They, they did play better. This was, this was, I mean, with four turnovers, um, you know, look, let's talk about Kirk Cousins first, because I think you and I were somewhat critical of him, rightfully so. Uh, when we talked earlier this week, Kirk Cousins, by all by by the numbers, uh, did his job. Yeah, I mean, very impressive in a prime time venue, which is not one of his strongest, historically not one of his strongest uh, environments to play. Uh, four touchdowns, um, an impressive amount of yardage that he that he had. The problem was the turnovers. Yep, uh, the turnovers that really hurt his Vikings, and it was. You know, it was at the end of the day. It was it was a it was a close game. It ended up being a close game in terms of the score, but the Vikings just were struggling. And that you know, Justin Jefferson uh, kind of fumble uh, over the goal line, uh, and that you know went from they went into that they went into the half and being down, being instead of being up by four, they went into the, the they went down into the halftime. I think being down three, down ten. Or no, three or seven. And I got to tell you something. If I run for president someday, changing that rule is going to be one of my platforms. That is a horrible rule that the NFL has. And uh, it's got to be changed. But we play by the rules, but the rules got to change. Because that was a horrible rule. That, and, and they called it fairly, but it's a horrible rule that just really, can, really changed the dynamics of the game. The you and I talked last week that you know last week's game, last Sunday's game, looked cruddy because these guys just haven't played. I mean, the changing of the preseason schedule to where the starters don't even play as a united team for an extended period of time is really shows because all teams, for the most part, look really bad in the first week. The team did look better, but it's interesting the mistakes that they made. These were the mistakes we used to have back when we had four preseason games in that first week. Fumbles. They're just relearning how to hold on to the ball and 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 make sure the ball doesn't pop out in, in an inopportune time. That, it, Like I said, so it seems like they did improve. They don't seem as sloppy as they were last week. But now here we are dealing with the, the, the beginning of the season problem that we used to have on a consistent basis, which is turnovers. Four, they had four fumbles, lost all four of them. I would make an argument that if they held two of those, they would have won that game. Correct. I mean, they had, they had four turnovers. They fumbled the ball four times in the first three minutes of the first 31 minutes of the game. That's an early part of the game. Um, I mean, and 
that was that game and, and the Eagles uh, certainly used every opportunity to get some points on the board. And that's just, you can't do that to a team. You cannot expect to go into Philadelphia, fumble the ball four times at any point in the game, but certainly not four times in the first 31 minutes, and not expect that to have the have that have a, a dramatic impact on your ability to win the game. The Vikings did make it close. It was a one-touchdown game. Uh, at the end of the day, it was a one-touchdown game. But let's remember, they were 11-0 and last season in one-score games last year. This season, they're, they're opening up the season 0-2 in one-score games. I had a couple points I wanted to make regarding uh, the preseason. I've had a number of people on social media, not to say that, but I think they're, they're reputable sources, who have said that the Vikings' approach to uh, the preseason is somewhat different than other teams in terms of not starting the starters. Um, and they take a much more uh, casual approach to the preseason. Uh, I'll let more sports experts chime in and offer that as an analysis. But that's a, I mean, I think that that certainly is a point about um, how the Vikings approach the preseason, which was a great point that you made you know, earlier in the week when we spoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now the reality is, is they're going to have the Chargers at home uh, on September 24th. And they're going to be starting. There's a real potential they could be 0 3. The Chargers are a good team. The, I think I, I would make an argument they have to win that Chargers game. And then they, I, I'll make an argument they have to win the Panthers the week afterwards at, at uh, Carolina. You know, because, I mean, you can't allow, I mean, they're, they are going to Im- implode if, if all of a sudden they're 0 and 3 and then they're, they have a must win game on the road. I just don't think it's going to work for them. So I, I, I'm going to imagine having the extra days, the focus, the realization how this is the, you know, the, the season's unfolding that, I'm, I'd be concerned if I was the Chargers coming in because I think they're going to want to make a statement there. Now, that doesn't mean there have been plenty of times they've gone into a, trying to make a statement and they, they, it blows up on them. But the, the reality is, is that loss to the Buccaneers. Here's the problem. Ooh. Yeah, that one was rough. Because at some point now, you're going to have to win a game that you are not picked to win to basically right. make up for that loss. So let's let's do rainbows and puppy dogs and think to ourselves that okay, they're going to win against the Chargers, they'll they'll win against the Panthers, they'll be 2 and 2. So then you have to look at the rest of the season and say where is the game that we had pegged them to lose that they're going to win. And you know, the good news is they've got both the Chiefs and the 49ers at home. Both of those games, right. I would imagine they're going to be the underdog going into those games. I mean, you're gonna. Ha- I think it's gonna. You're gonna have to win one of those games to make up for that Tampa Bay debacle. Correct. And there's not when you, when you have a when it's a when it's a 17 game season. I mean, 17 week season. You just do not have a lot of opportunity for error in NFL games. You just don't. You just do not have a lot of error. A lot of room for error in these games. What I will also say to you, a very disheartening statistic that I heard this morning in preparation for our, uh, this interview, is. Vikings, uh, any team, that's the, the, the statistical likelihood of a team making the playoffs after an 0-2 start is around 10%. Mm-hmm. And so the odds are, in, are the odds are strongly against the Vikings in making the playoffs at all. But you get to a situation where they're 0-3, and then even if they win, Matt, and they're 1-2, you then get back to your scenario, which is they have to they have to win a game that they did that they're not going to be on paper scheduled to win. And I think, unfortunately, the Central Division, this, this I mean the, the the division that they play in right now, having Detroit 
I mean, they still have to play Detroit two times. Yeah. And that's going to be, that's going to be, I mean, that, that's a team that's, you know, certainly is, is, is flipped their destiny around uh, quite a bit. Uh, do you, uh, okay, the Chargers did lose last week. Uh, remains to be seen what happens this week because they'll be playing on Sunday. Uh, are, are, no, they're not going to have the Monday night. They'll have the Sunday game. So the question for you, I mean, I mean, I know the Chargers on, on paper are always a good team, but the Vikings play the Chargers really well. Yes. They do. I mean, they should. And, and I, as always, I dated myself by saying I, I should have said NFC North, uh, not, not uh, but the truth is, <laughs> yes. I mean, the Vikings, the, the Vikings are, the Vikings, you know, the Vikings are all in two right now. They're at their bottom of the division. Um, and so there's, a, they're, they have, there's got some work that they have to do. Uh, they really have to do some work here, and the, the, you know the, we'll see what they were going to be. Able, that environment, that really, it's going to be tough. But it, it, I think it's fair to say. I mean, any every game, you know, in the NFL is a must-win game. But you know, there's certainly some latitude if teams, you know, have racked up some victories and have some space where they can have a margin for a loss. But every game right now for the Vikings is a must-win. They just don't have a lot of opportunity, in particular because of how the rest of the NFC North is doing. Yep. Um, you know, the Packers and the, the Lions, and there's an expectation that the Lions are just going to be a very strong team this season. Um, but, you know, they went into Kansas City and won at KC against the Chiefs. That's not any small feat. Mm-hmm. And the Vikings, as you've articulated here, because of the Tampa Bay loss, they have got to win one of their remaining games that they're – they would not. They have to make up for that game, and that's just difficult for them to do, based on the schedule. Two things after the game. One, now that Aaron Rodgers is out in the Jets, all of a sudden the national media, namely the New York media, is all insisting. Well, all the Jets have to do is trade to get Kirk Cousins. Now, this, by the way, this shows you the media that bashes on Kirk Cousins knows Kirk Cousins as well because you're right. He played pretty well last night. He had a lot of yards. Um, you know, he, he played well. They know he's a pretty decent quarterback. They want him in the Jets because they want that storyline there. So this, you know, I, I, I just don't see, there's no chance in the world the Vikings are going to trade Kirk Cousins to the Jets, are they? No, I don't think that's, I don't think they will. Cousins has, Cousins has a, uh, a, no, a no trade clause in his yeah. contract. Um, and I would, I just would have to say, Looking at the stats last night, and again, I know that we've been hard on Kirk Cousins, um, but he performed last night. He did everything that he was expected to do. Um, you know, mistakes happen in every game, but some of these fumbles and some of these miscues, it's really tough to put that on Kirk Cousins, uh, Kirk Cousins on shoulders on, on everything. And yeah. as you pointed out, the national media was, you know, wanted to reinforce the narr- narrative, which is existing that Cousins uh, is not good in primetime games. He threw for 364 yards last night, four touchdowns, zero interceptions, and his, and his rating of 125.6. That's a heck of a job. Those are good numbers. Completions of 70-plus percent. Yes, that would make arguably Kirk Cousins a very attractive player. But here's the other thing I would point out to you. When a lot of people are talking about Cousins, and not just, in the, not just his record in the NFC North, but just overall how he's been with the Vikings, the knock on him has been, is that Cousins can't, he's not, he's not going to win this. He's not a Super Bowl quality quarterback because he can't win the clutch games. He can't win the high intensity games and he can't win the high visibility games like we've seen in these primetime games. What I found so interesting in this analysis about Cousins joining the Jets 
is that that would make him a Super Bowl contender. If Kirk Cousins was suddenly on the Jets, that would make him a Super Bowl contender. Exactly. And I think we have to be consistent and fair about Cousins. I will say to you, if you would have told me when we spoke earlier in the week, Matt, that Cousins would have had 364 yards, four touchdowns, 70, over 70% completion, um, and the Vikings not win the game, I would have been surprised. He's doing his work that he yeah. needs to do. What is a clear indication on last night, which we should talk about briefly, is the running game. The running game has suffered with the Vikings. And, uh, you know, Delvin Cook is with the Jets right now. Boy, that would, you know, they would make a, a good combination uh, working. You know, he knows how to, Kirk Cousins knows how to work with that type of running game. They would be a powerful uh, duo again. But ultimately, um, in the NFC North right now, where the Vikings are, they're in the basement and they got to work their way out. And with Green Bay and Detroit, uh, on paper, at least, I know we're, I know the Vikings are two games in, but Detroit and Green Bay are still at to play their second game. By all indications, are they're going to be strong teams, and so the Vikings' work is is cut out for them. Uh, should mention mention the running back. This is ugly. Alexander Madison on early Friday morning said that he received more than sixty disgustingly disrespectful messages through his Instagram account, including several that used the N-word and other slurs after the team's loss. So, you know, supposed Vikings fans, the Vikings have already come on out and very strongly condemned this. I, you know, I want anyone that sent him a message to get out of my damn state. That's, you're just a disgusting pig and you shouldn't be here. But it is disgusting to see that, that this has been an offshoot of this. It's just terrible. And uh, as someone who takes sports incredibly seriously, um, I could not imagine engaging in that type of rhetoric, and it's just horrific that anyone is experience is experienced that just for a for a game of football. Um, I always appreciate. We will talk a week from Monday on the, hopefully on a on a one and two team. We'll we'll get there. But I if I can pull in your political pundit hat for a quick second here, because I wanted to chat yes, with sir. you about uh, the 52B seat. This is Ruth Richardson's seat. She resigned immediately on September 1st. So that seat is open. It's been a Democratic seat. A special election has been scheduled for Tuesday, December 5th. You've been keeping track of a lot of the candidates, uh, but am I mistaken? Am I missing something? All the candidates that so far have announced, they're all in the DFL side, correct? Correct. Um, yes, I live in Egan. I live in House District 52B. There is no announced GOP candidates. Um, although I, I do consider myself a Republican, elective office is not uh, my role right now, and so I'm not running. Uh, have they, have you been asked? Can I, the, can I ask? Have you been asked to run? I, I have been encouraged, uh, but I've, I've already made it very clear that it's not, that's not what I'm going to do. And it's, although I appreciate the... Uh, the words of encouragement, I, I have no plans and am not interested in and won't be running for the seat. Uh, but the, all of the candidates that have announced, you are correct, have been on the DFL side. Now, the Libertarian Party has made an announcement that they plan on, they hope to be planning to field a candidate. Uh, but um, we've had a number of candidates that have announced on the DFL side. Uh, Cynthia uh, Callis uh, announced. Bianca Veering has announced. Chris Whitfield has announced. Carl Yeager has announced, and I believe his name is Jay Miller. I hope I'm saying that right. I was more I had my sports stats ready more than I had this ready. <laughs> uh, he is a Mendota City, Mendota Heights City Council member. Has noted on social media his intention to run. He posted on Facebook. All of the candidates are DFL. 
and I apologize if I mis- mispronounced anyone's name there, uh, but all the candidates are on the DFL side, and I think it's going to be a vibrant contest. Uh, a vibrant contest. The the last time uh, I believe it was was sixty three thirty seven something like our sixty three thirty something. It was the that was the the margins there for the DFL inside. Uh, at the same time, though, you know, one of the problems, and this is one of the things I get really mad at the DFL about, especially out in these red areas, you got to run a candidate. You can't just not run a candidate. I mean, that's just giving up on the district. And once you start doing that, you're not going to ever win that district or at least make a good showing. Uh, do you think the Republicans will find a candidate that will be the main candidate or will it be just one of those guys who, sure, will let you run under the GOP banner, but don't expect any help from the party? You know, it would be great if there was a, a good candidate that stepped up on the Republican side. I think that this is a, a district, this is a legislative district where Republicans need to make some gains. It was formally represented, this district was represented in some form by former uh, House Majority Leader Tim Pawenty before he came to governor. It was, it was represented by uh, Doug Wardlow, Lynn Wardlow at, at various times too. So there has been some Republican strength in this area, but over the years, as the Democrats have done better in getting a foothold in the suburban areas, they've built up a real strong district here. And so that's why I think you're seeing that so many uh, candidates, quality candidates, I would argue, on the DFL side um, that have gotten in this race. And I know that they have a process to figure out who their candidates are. But the Republicans should be fielding a candidate in this race. Mm-hmm. Here's why. Even if, even, if you, even if a candidate gets in and recognizes the the, the the electoral realities of the district, Matt, it's still a good opportunity to do some data, get some, run some, run some programs, get a feel for the district, build some lists, do some other things to help build a grassroots entity here uh, and test some concepts out. That's a safe, that would be a very good way for the Republicans to spend some resources in this district. Again, accepting the electoral realities, but doing some things, to, to test some of their programs that they would do. If the Republican Party wants to succeed statewide, they need to be looking at every opportunity when there is a race like this, particularly in the suburban area, but whether it was in Minneapolis or St. Paul or was in downtown Duluth, they should be looking for an opportunity to have a voice, plant a flag, uh, and offer a candidate that can offer some contrast. Because at the end of the day, as we've consistently talked about, we want people to vote, we want both sides to vote, we want, both, we want people to be engaged uh, in civil discourse and in civic discourse. And so not feeling a candidate, I think, would be a mistake. We all make it, it, it. No one wins in a district when there's only one candidate on the ballot. And that's at the end of the day, that's just the truth. They should be a choice. And I think that we, we owe it to the people to make sure that both parties have candidates in all these races. And that's the case. By the way, you and I are the same people, man. I've been asked to run for office. Not a chance. That's <laughs> just I got I don't I've seen what that is. I, I know. Good luck with all that. But that's not me, man. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just not my role right now. But I appreciate I appreciate the thoughtful suggestions and encouragement that I receive. But it's just not my role. But I but I do hope that there's you know a, a good good candidates on the DFL side. Hope there's good candidates on the GOP side, and that House District Fifty Two B is treated to a vibrant and passionate and within bounds debate about policies and and where the state should go and happening right in my backyard. Yep. Uh, it's going to, the opportunity, Matt, is this. If the Viking season goes the way it is, maybe I, maybe I pivot from being your Viking <laughs> analyst to being your on-the-ground, 
House District 52B field reporter. Oh, okay? I'll give your you field his correspondent. I'll give you as many titles as I can give you. You're 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 a good radio man. So uh, by all means, you're now that too. I'm just going to let you know we're, we've made that decision. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. You're on the crowd, uh, Michael. We will talk to you a week from Monday, my friend. Okay. Hopefully we'll have better news, sir. Hopefully Thank we you so will. Much for your time as always. My pleasure. Michael Broadcorp, uh, well, making sure I list everything out there as well, including his podcast uh, a little bit later on. Let's wrap up the show when we come back. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950.